Welcome to Thad Education. Today um, I've got on a guest who, well, he's a really good friend, but I hugely admire him and I'm a big fan of what he does. Uh, if you haven't heard of Dustin Lee or Retro Supply, I don't know what you've been doing, but like I said, the big thing for me wanting to get him on was any excuse to have a chat because I'm a huge fan of what he's done and I've been buying his products for years, so this is always a good opportunity for me to be a bit of a fanboy. But the main reason is that I've always been massively impressed by how he's managed to build uh, sustainable income from sort of digital products. And I say sustainable, but that's really not doing any justice. He's thriving doing this. And he's one of the few people I respect because he's he's doing it through love and hard work. And I think there are too many people out there who are claiming to be doing it, but they're not really honest with how they're doing it or they're just putting out pretty crappy products, to be honest, or they're generic. And I wanted to bring on someone who can teach you um, what to do to stand out and also to give an insight on, into the level of hard work it takes to make this work and be successful. So, Dustin, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me on. Seriously, an honor to be on. It's good to talk to you again. It's been a few months, so it's great to see you again too, man. Cool, man. Well, I really appreciate your time. I know you're super busy. Um, as I hinted at, I, I think anyone who isn't kind of aware of, of yourself and Retro Supply and um, your podcast, The Honest Designers Podcast, is, you know, probably needs to pay more attention. But for those who don't quite, um, probably aren't really aware of your origin story, um, it'd be great to find out a little bit sort of how, what, how did you get here? How did you start out on this sort of passive income journey? Um, so if you don't mind sort of delving back into that, that'd be fantastic. No, absolutely happy to. Um, so I, like a lot of people that are designers, grew up loving drawing and art and cartoons and all those things. I went to an art school during high school. I studied music and art in college, and I was accepted to go to uh, Berkeley College of Music to study music. And uh, I decided at the last minute that going to school for art was a really dumb idea and I should study business and marketing because most artists are broke. And I figured, well, if I can, I can figure out the art if someone can teach me how to how to sell and make money from it. Mm -hmm. So I did that and somehow that ended up taking me off on a rabbit trail and I ended up working at a bank for years and years and years. Um, not years and years and years. I think I worked at a bank for five years and I was miserable. Um, and by the way, banks don't teach you about business or selling. So don't, don't try it. There's nothing to learn there. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyways, I did that and then I met my wife and when we decided to get married, I told her, I, I can't do this. I really want to be a designer. I've always wanted to be an artist and design seemed like the best way to do that. So I told her, well, if we get married, I really feel like I need like to switch over. I don't want to get stuck in being a banker. And um, so we got married and I went back to school to study design just at community college, you know. Um, City College, you might call it in the UK. I'm not sure what they call it there. Um, but um, I, I studied for one year and then I started just working and it was horrible. I didn't make any money. I had a lot of bad jobs. I did everything you're not supposed to. I took Craigslist jobs for $25 for a logo. I did 99 designs. I just every single thing they tell you never to do, I did. You name it, I did it. Um, and eventually I had written to 
a blogger I really respected named um, Jonathan Mead, who owned a site called Passive Income, or not Passive Income, uh, that's my site, <laughs> who owned a site called Paid to Exist. And it was about making money doing what you love as a solopreneur. And I started working for him as a designer, and I just learned all of how an online profitable business works. So at that point, uh, I learned a lot, but I was living in the Silicon Valley trying to make a startup. I wasn't making any money. I was drinking too much. I was smoking too much. And then I found out that we were going to have a baby. And I just dr dramatically transformed my life very, very quickly. That was the transformation moment um, that you know you hear about in stories so often. I found the baby was coming and I quit drinking. I quit smoking. I started getting up at four o'clock in the morning and spending two, maybe three hours every morning making products and selling them on Creative Market. And within three months of doing that, I think the business was making around $10,000 a month. And that was six years ago. And now it's a, it's a full-blown website. We still sell on Creative Market because I love them. Um, but mm -hmm. it, most of the money, 90% of the revenue comes from the site. And um, it's doing great. I, I really do, in, in many ways, get to live my dream. And I remember um, always enjoying the story of you were saying, like, I think it was the first product you use. What was the first product you made? And I think you were t I remember you saying something about when it when you first launched it and that moment of like, well, we're going to see if this works or not. What was the first product that it was again? Yeah, well, it wasn't the first. I had sold a couple logo packs, um, but that was when I was kind of trying to just feel it out. I didn't really know what I was doing quite yet. The first mm -hmm. pack that really made an um, impact was something called Retrolift. And what it was was essentially just a, a pretty simple Photoshop action that would create this 3D type effect. Not like yeah. a, all gradients, but a very simple kind of 1950s style three-dimensional effect like you might see on postcards. And I had put that out and I was working in a Starbucks that morning. And you get notifications in your email every time you make a, someone buys from you on Creative Market. And all of a sudden my phone just started going off, you know, ding, 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 ding with notifications. And so I went to look and I noticed it was just person after person. I mean, literally so many people buying that it, the dings were overlapping, you know, almost into like a ding, 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 ding like a syncopated oh, wow. dinging sound. It was insane. And um, I remember packing up my, my, my laptop and running home. It was walking distance to the house. And I remember running home to my wife who was pregnant because I wanted her to hear the, it going off. And what it turned out had happened was Creative Market had decided to feature that product. Um, the reason probably being because I had really focused a lot more on trying to make it really great. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it had sold, gosh, I don't even know. It, by the end of the day, I think I'd made $1,700. Sometimes I fudge these numbers a little bit, but somewhere between $1,500 and $1,700 in a single day from it, which was more than I had made in a week at a job in my entire life. Um, wow. So that was kind of like the magic moment for me. Yeah. That, I mean, I, I think I've, I remember buying that product and it was, like I said, there's a kind of, for me as a consumer, there was a real magic to actually just plugging it in in a way and running your work through it and just going, oh my God, this is phenomenal. Like I can get the effects I kind of look at longingly within seconds. And this was, it was a real game changer for me and I was kind of hooked. Um, from then on, and I, I went on to buy, and as I was saying to you a minute ago, I, I still 
use your products all the time because they're so good. Um, and I noticed uh, so you were saying about creative markets. So that's that 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 was that. Do you think that was a big played a big role in certainly sort of getting things kickstarted? Oh, one hundred percent. The business I am quite confident would not exist today had I not started on creative market. Creative market. I was lucky in a few senses. I was lucky in the sense that I chose creative market, which was purely arbitrary. I didn't have any real reasoning behind it other than that's where I had bought products from. They had a team behind them. They still do. Um, their CEO, um, Aaron. And Aaron Epstein is the CEO. And just the whole team, I visited their office recently and they still have the same, uh, what would you call it? brand promise, I guess you would say on the wall. And that's just to to support creatives, whether they be sellers or people buying on the on the marketplace to help them to make more money and be more successful in their jobs. And so for shop owners, that means selling more products. And for the people that buy, that means curating the shop owners, making sure that they're only providing the best product. So these were people that really cared. And um, I mean, these, I mean, we're talking like I'd release a product and they would tell me, you know, why don't you change this? Maybe you should do this, try this out. They were coaching you as you did it. So that was part of what was lucky about it. And the other part that was lucky was that I got onto the platform at a time when it was just starting. So the competition wasn't too intense yet. Um, yeah. And it, it was just a mix of luck and preparation all coming together. Yeah. Yes, because it was, um, like I said, it's a hugely addictive site. I still go on there now. It's got huge though, hasn't it? It's really sort of become very big. Yes, there's over 20,000 shops on there now. Oh my God. And so... What was it? I think you were also part of Dribble. Was that another thing that you were involved in as well? Um, I mean, I've done conferences. I'm uh, not conferences. I've done talk. I've done a talk at Dribble. I know um, the CEO from Dribble only because he used to be the uh, marketing director at Creative Market. Uh, okay. um, and I've been posting on Dribble forever, but I don't know if I would say Dribble had any connection to any financial success I had. Mm hmm. And when it went from, say, one or two products, how did it grow from there? So you said they were quite helpful at promoting you. What would you think of when the stars aligned and what was really helping you sort of take off? Obviously, I would imagine the quality of the products and they were slightly evolving as you went. The quality of the products was a lot of it. But here was the most interesting thing is for the designers listening, you know that being a graphic designer, a big part of the job is that Graphic designers are essentially artists that are working for commercial capitalistic purposes in most cases. And when I would go on to creative market six years ago, you would see these products and it would just be, let's say it was a texture pack. It would just be this picture of a texture on the front of it and say grunge texture, $5. Mm -hmm. And I thought to myself, these are professional graphic designers. Why are they not? Why are they not making intriguing covers? Why aren't they selling the product through the images? That's literally what graphic designers are trained to do. Uh, and I found that funny. So I think I was one of the very first people to do that on Creative Market. That made a big difference. The other difference was I knew from working for Paid to Exist, which was that online marketing company that I was talking about, that you want to drive people to an email list and build an email list. For anyone listening, I can't think of any case where building an email list will hurt you. Building an email list will only help you. And it's sort of like, um, as Aaron Epstein from Creative Market says, it's like planting a tree. The best time to do it was 10 years ago. The second best time to do it um, is today. 
So if you don't have an email list, start building an email list. So what I did was I had a bio on Creative Market and most people's bios on Creative Market were sort of like their Twitter bios. Um, they might say something like, I love coffee and I love to draw. That's great, but that doesn't do anything for you. And what I did with that bio was I said, go to my site, enter your email address and I'll give you nine free products. So I was able to drive massive amounts of traffic from creative market to my own site and build my email list who I could sell to um, very easily because I didn't have to pay for the traffic. Creative market was, was just getting venture capital and they were, you know, driving traffic through Facebook ads and uh, Google ads and who knows what else they were doing to drive traffic, SEO, all these things. So I was essentially just siphoning off traffic. That's that was really what built the business. Ah, that's interesting. Because uh, yes, I think if I was looking at it, I would probably think, okay, so it's clearly uh, he's got Creative Market helping him and he's putting out great products. And I guess that's a lot of it. But as you said, it's the secondary thing of I'm at the mercy of the of the platform to a certain extent. So I need to, and that's, and I think that's probably a way to look at other social media like Instagram. I was on a call earlier today with a, a sort of influencer and she was very much making the point of using the platform to generate awareness, but siphoning that awareness into something much more tangible, such as an email list or a Facebook group. So that's interesting you mentioned that because that, that's a really big insight of how you actually were almost getting double. You were getting the money and the revenue from selling the products, but also you were building your list the whole time. And that's probably allowed you now, uh, as you said, a lot of your products are coming and being sold direct, which is even better for you because there's no cut. Absolutely. And I mean, I, I'm happy, like in the case of Creative Market, that when people buy there, people oftentimes will write me. Their customers can be so amazing. And I think you've even written this to me before that. And they'll say, should I buy from Creative Market or should I buy from you? Because I know that Creative Market takes a cut. And I always say, I don't, I don't care where you buy, you know, buy where it's convenient for you. If it's, it's more convenient Creative Market, buy there. It doesn't matter to me if I give that, I give Creative Market a 30% cut because I love these guys. These really, they really care about what they're doing. They're providing an amazing platform. They're providing traffic. Um, and at this point, they've supported me for six years, just like people like you have. You know, I consider them, you know, close to family. So I'm like, hey, take 30%. You, 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 you earned it. I don't care where, where people buy from. Um, but I just think I became aware that you can't expect a business to be loyal to you like a spouse. The business needs to make money and they're going to promote the products and make them the most money. And that's exactly what Creative Market does. So I make, I'll put it this way. I'm on Creative Market. If I had just stayed on Creative Market, I would be out of business. I make, like I said, 90% of my money, maybe more from my own site. Creative Market brings in enough to pay my mortgage and pay some other things, but that's only because I'm one of the bigger sellers on there because I started so early. But it's still, I mean, that's why. If you're on Instagram, you have a bunch of followers. Great. Yes. Put it onto your own site, though, because I'll tell you what. Instagram, if you have a business account, why do they have you signed up for a business account? They don't have you sign up for a business account because they care so much about your business. They have you sign up for a business account because then they know to throttle all your stuff more so they can charge you to try to get to make you pay to get in front of more people. These people yeah. are running businesses. So get people onto your own site, onto your own email list where you can control the conversation, where you can control what happens. It's the best insurance you can have that your business is not going to um, tank. 
And I guess so. And your email, your lead magnet, which are these nine products, that's been like fairly consistent for years, isn't it? Really, that's that's kind of you've really hit on a gold mine there, and gone like people just keep signing up for that. Yeah, um, I mean, I get, I get nowadays between 100 and 150 people that sign up for my email list every day. But um, in all honesty, that lead magnet, those nine free products, people enjoy them. They're great products. But if I was to do it again. I would probably emphasize more offering an instant discount to people when they come to the site, because mm -hmm. what happens is when you offer freebies, people sign up for the freebies, but they might just want the freebies and then your list is loaded with people that never buy. What you really mm -hmm. want is you, you want people that would sign up for your email list just for the discount because no one wants a discount unless they're going to buy. So then you know everyone that signed up at least has some interest in making a purchase. So that was my yes. mistake in a way. I mean, it still worked out. It just takes a little, it takes more work to get people to buy and your conversion rate um, and open rate for your emails will be lower um, when you when you have a lot of freebie seekers on it. Uh, that, that's also, I, I feel a similar way about holding competitions. I think it's kind of very short-term gain. You get a lot of people enter, but they're there, they're there for the competition. They don't really care and they don't want to buy. So I think that's quite a shrewd move of almost your first lead magnet would be something which is, perhaps repurposing stuff you've already got to make it attractive to get people on the list initially. But as soon as you can offer enough products to be bought, you want to switch that over to like a discount or a coupon. Exactly. Yeah, you nailed it. And and if you are offering a freebie, uh, a great way to make that get more leverage from an email opt-in that's a freebie is to create a, a, a gap, a product gap or a knowledge gap of some sort in the freebie. Okay. So, for instance, um, off the top of my head, let's say I have a, a font called Palm Canyon Drive. You can go to our site. It's a it's a best selling font. It's been used by a lot of big companies. Um, yeah, I've got it. I love it. Yeah, it's a very popular font. It's been used by Fossil, Craft, um, all sorts of different companies. Um, you can get a free version of it, um, but when they get it, you should take some of the characters out. So maybe they can't get all of the the ampersand or the dollar sign or some things like that. And you should make sure in the license for the freebie that it says you can only use this for personal use. Make it so yes. they're excited about the product, but don't let them just walk away with that product and go have fun with it and go use it on commercial projects. Um, make it so every product is enjoyable, but incomplete. So yes. they have a reason to buy. Because once you get someone to buy, as I'm sure you know more than anyone, once someone buys once, the chances of them buying again are dramatically higher. So your whole goal when you have someone sign up for an email list should get them to make some sort of purchase, even if it's a dollar. Get them to make that commitment mentally of purchasing something. Yes, that's that. I know there was, um, I'm sure I bored you with it before, but there's a Daniel Priestley book and he talks about having a product ecosystem. And it goes from having like a free uh, product, which is like a podcast, and then like a, a low barrier, which is kind of, an opportunity for them to exchange something like an email or buy a cheap product to get something of yours. And then they're going to judge that value exchange to say, okay, if I give him his email, is he going to spam me? If I pay $5 or whatever it is for this product, is it going to be worth that? And so those are very, they're very important, aren't they? You've, you've really got to over deliver in that initial stage to win that trust. And yeah. like with any product you have to deliver clearly, but it's that thing of that's your, that's your audition, is it your first impression? So that's massive. Absolutely. Yeah. I remember um, a lot of people say this, but um, 
never be afraid to give your very best stuff out for free. Or let's say someone buys a, a $5 paid product or dollar paid product. Make sure that product is great. It should probably, a dollar product should probably be worth $20 in the mind of the consumer because on your free and your dollar product, they're going to say, if this is what I get for a dollar, I get for free. I'm going to assume that that's similar to what I'm going to get for a hundred dollars yeah. or $500. I'm just going to get more of it. So don't give out your crappiest stuff. Give out your very best stuff because that's the one chance you have. Um, it would be like trying to go out on a date with a, um, a girl or guy. And when you first meet them, I don't know, like not wearing deodorant and it's kind of, this is only a trial. If yeah, we're serious, I'll take something nice next time. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like wearing scrappy clothes and picking your nose and wearing deodorant and then thinking they'll go on a date with you. I mean, you put your best self out there, right? Like, yeah. And you need to put your best self out there when you're trying to get people to exchange money. Cause the only proof they have is how you behave that first time that they meet you. Even if it's digitally, you're online. No, I think that's, that's huge. And I, I've, it's really interesting noticing the transition because as a sort of uh, consumer, I've seen the, an evolution in your products, which is always tricky. That thing of how are you going to keep sort of not repackaging the same stuff? How is it going to change and breaking into new markets? And I've seen you evolve from um, sort of Photoshop files into sort of typefaces into sort of more like brushes and Procreate now, which is amazing. And um, some of the guys that you've got involved collaborating with the products and doing illustrations, that's phenomenal stuff. It, it really showcases the quality of the products you're making. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, one thing that I I think that is uh, exciting and everyone can take something from this is to is to try to find try to find the things that are your weaknesses and think about how they could be a strength and. And everyone says that, but think about it, really think about it for a second. So for instance, my weaknesses, um, compared to some of the people that work on products with me, I can't draw my way out of a paper bag. We have some of the best people illustrating probably on the planet, people that will probably be in, in design books or illustration books in college courses, um, 20 years from now that have done product that have collaborated on products with us. And a lot of people feel like, well, I have to do it all. If something's going to have illustrations, I need to do the illustrations. Something's going to be, if, if we're going to release a typeface, I need to do the typeface. My feeling has always been, I have a very small bandwidth of things that I'm good at and the things that I'm not good at, I'm fine with that. I love the idea of bringing in people and having them work on it. And I think that comes back to um, this, this culture on places like Dribbble, for instance. If you ever go to Dribbble or Instagram to a design feed or an illustration feed and you ask, you'll, you'll see someone will ask, they'll say, oh, I love this piece of work. Um, how did you, what font is that? Or how did you get that texture? Mm. This person will respond to every other thing that anyone says. You're brilliant. You're a genius. Heart, heart, heart. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Someone will say, what font did you use? Radio silence. No heart, no comment. They don't want to share it. And I think that has kind of like in me made me think, well, I'm going to get all these great people on Dribbble, on Instagram. I'm going to partner with them. And we're going to share secrets together. They're going to share their secrets. They're going to share how they do things. And I'm going to be the antithesis of that response on Dribble. All the secrets will be given away. All the things people use will be given away because that's always what I wanted and I could never find. Yeah, I found myself doing the same. I was constantly tagging you in it. I almost felt 
God, he's going to get bored of this. This guy's always tagging retro supply or, you know, because I, like I said, I don't understand um, why he just can't be more honest. Like I go, yeah, clearly this is how I do it. Why would I hide that? But I guess, like you say, it's an ego thing, but yeah, some of the, I've noticed the quality of the illustrators and like you say with that, even that, um, that typeface with Hoodsford design, it's like that is a phenomenal collaboration that just worked out perfectly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I didn't do a single thing on that. In fact, when they did that project, Amy Hood really did it. Um, and for anyone listening, you should really go check out the, the typeface. I'm not saying that as a sales pitch. You should go see it. It's really an amazing typeface. If you're a designer, you'll probably think it's cool. Amy Hood did that typeface 100%. I essentially told her, I don't want to even give you a brief. I know that some drives some designers nuts, but I felt like like you do you like here's some here's some lettering that I've loved that you've done. You do what you like to do. The more I get involved in this, the the more rubbish it's going to be because you're so good at what you do. I'm not going to try to pretend to be an art director over you. I should probably be a junior designer under you. And by doing that, like and giving her that freedom, she just killed it. It's 100 percent her. Um, and, and that's why it did so well. And I love giving her credit for it. She deserves all the credit in the world for it. Yeah. It's a fantastic, it's one of my, I, I always try and get it into any projects I can work on just cause like I said, it's, it's kind of unique and it hasn't, it's, it's popular, but it's one of those ones. It hasn't quite got overexposure yet. So it's kind of nice. You can use it and there's some sort of, um, credibility of like that. I haven't seen that before. That's really cool. But then <laughs> it, once you've seen it, I see it everywhere. Exactly. It's kind of like, um, it's like this fine line, right? Like no offense to um, Thirsty, if any designers familiar with Thirsty. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, Thirsty is a, is a cool is a cool script, um, but it, or Wisdom script is an even more classic example. They're, they're great scripts. It's just that they've been so overly used that, um, that it's kind of ruined the use of them. And that's not the designer's fault. That's, I guess, just a tribute to the, how successful the, the font was. But yeah, you're, yeah. you're like writing this line. Like you said, you want to, you want people to recognize it and think it's cool, but you still want them to not know enough where they're still like, what is that font? It's so great. Where did, where did they get that? It's kind of the yes. sweet spot. Yeah, that's it. Like, you want to have a little bit of leverage over those people to just that inner knowledge. But I do, right. I'm generally, it's like um, Simon Walker's typeface. There's one called Black Bike that I can't, oh, that's such a good time. And I remember yes. when that, this is how much of a nerd I am. That was one that he did, it's called like Fellini or Fellini. And he hadn't released it as a typeface yet. And I remember I was working on a logo design for a client and I traced all the letter forms and made their name out of it. And I was like, this is really cool. This is what it would look like if it was real. And I was about to email him and say, look, I've constructed this out of your letters. So I, I want to ask you, like, what's the cost or the fee to do this? Because it isn't a typeface, but it looks amazing. And it's not my lettering because I've got terrible handwriting. Um, and then he released that. And I was like, this is done i was like really thrilled because i can do it and use it and it looks even better and slightly gutted because it was available and i thought ah oh, that was my little secret this and i yeah. held it like i saw it on dribble and was like holding on to it for the right project but as you say that and palm canyon oh they're, they're, I, I, I sound like a real nerd now but they're seriously excellent typefaces um, they, they, they are and those simon walker ones I, I know exactly what you're talking about i saw his his forever and i remember he released this one called um matchbook i believe it was called but he was yeah. like I'm, I'm making a font called matchbook and it was on dribble and he showed a picture of all the characters he's like it'll be out soon this was like seven years ago and then like it was just radio silence he never released it it was 
you never heard from me. You said, well, if you message me, I'll send you the, the, the vector files of it. And if you were lucky, like I wrote to him, he didn't send them to me, but I knew he sent them to other people. Um, and then he finally released it years and years later. Um, but that's what's so great. You know, Simon Walker's like kind of this very, seems like a super nice, genuine artist. He's yeah. not a marketing person. He just makes stuff. And I know from um, a guy um, at a creative market um, who knows him very well and used to work with him said, I had to really tell him, you need to make these into typefaces. These yeah. will sell as typefaces. And I think that finally, um, that this person's name was Jaron Lampson, another fantastic designer. And uh, so Simon Walker made them into those fonts. But what's so beautiful about Simon's site is it's so good that it gets shared, but you don't see ads everywhere for it. He's not, it's just something so cool about when someone doesn't try to sell something hard yes. and it just is kind of hidden away somewhere. And every so often it kind of gets whispered about, like we're talking about it, right? A couple more people yeah. will see it, but it'll still be a secret, you know, like it won't be like everybody knows it. And I think that's like the sweet spot. Yeah, that, like I said, it, I, I love his work as well because I'm a matchbox. If anyone wants it, he's on uh, Lost Typer. It was. Yeah. They also has one East Side, which I think you've used for a product. Like, was it the, your wax crayon product? Yeah, and, probably. Uh, yeah. yeah, East Side, and he did it for the East Side Cider. And I got that, and then he took it away. And I remember just, I, I got it, and in a couple of weeks later, it was nowhere, like dead, gone. Yeah. And I've got that, and I treasure that. And it's like, no one else has got this, and I love it. So it's like, you know, I'm, <laughs> We're getting sidetracked here, but uh, the one thing which I think is really interesting, and I wanted to give away takeaways, and I think for anyone listening, uh, I've, <clears throat> I'm going to now bore Dustin because I'm going to ask him questions about how do you go about creating products. The, the secret is you go to his website, and he's got uh, it's like an onboarding email course, isn't it? Like a mini free email course on how to do it. And I've yeah. downloaded this and I've read it. And I've actually been sort of, I've written notes and been trying to plan what I could do because it's fantastic. It's very thorough. It's very honest. Um, I really like how direct and truthful you are about, you know, not trying too hard and just getting something out there and just getting it made. But if you were to try and sum up, I guess, because this for me is where and why I wanted you to get something on. I want to be able to, I'm very keen to tell my audience that uh, the things that they need to do if they want to be successful in the creative field is, uh, a lot of it is avoiding that scarcity mindset and being able to say no to bad clients when they come along. And, and we all know that, that it, it's so tempting when you need the money to say yes to someone and the red flags are there and you're like, oh, but, oh, but I'll, I'll just do it for the money. And that is never a good thing, but it's so hard to you know push away. And the one yeah. way you can do this is to have some sort of saving set aside so you don't need, there's no pressure or to have other revenue streams and I think I read a quote about sort of if you if it was about a millionaire and you say like the typical millionaire sounds very cheesy, but he has about seven revenue streams. So there's revenue coming in from everywhere. So you're not vulnerable. And I think this is why when it, you talked about passive income, it's that thing of if I could have other ways that I'm generating revenue that's going to help uh, me I, if I set that aside to save or whatever it might be, that's going to give me eliminate the scarcity mindset, which will give me the perseverance to to really build a career I want to build. So I wanted to bring you on to talk about not uh, the generic kind of tips that we hear from everywhere from these these people I despise who are promising you the world and actually just repackaging crap that's generic. Um, I wanted to get a balance of, if anyone wants to get the basic guide on how to do this, I urge them to go to your website and sign up for your course. So where should they go to do that? 
Yeah, if you just go to um, passiveincomefordesigners.com, one of, it's one of those long, crazy names. But if you go there um, and you sign up, you get like a five-day course. It's it's just detailed enough to give you everything you need, and it's just broad enough where you can kind of use your imagination and let it flow into how that how something like this would work for you. Mm -hmm. um, you can check it out there if you really if you're someone that loves to just get inspiration, and then you feel like you can take it from there. There's a course on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn Learning or Linda. If you don't have a membership there, you can get 30 days free. I do a course on there where it's essentially just exposing you to the different ways you can make um, uh, a passive income, if you, we want to call it that. Essentially, just not trading time for money. You stuff to put work in, but it covers everything from selling products like on um, Teespring or something like that to making a course to selling digital products to making an ebook. Um, and, and it shows success stories. So this isn't just saying, here's how to do it, but you'll get to hear really inspiring success stories from people who have made this work and why it worked for them. Um, and lastly, I'll have to give you a link, but I did a survey over, of over, over 300 people asking them what their biggest struggles were with trying to build a side income that's passive. Mm -hmm. And um, I organized those into four different categories and created a video completely free to watch. Um, it's 15 minutes and I go into each part of how that whole thing works. Um, and I can give you the link to that and you can include that for people. Um, like I said, none of these things require anything except for the first requires an email address. No money okay. needs to be exchanged. I wanted to also talk about this is the work it takes. So I think it was very much being honest. Like, so when you, like when you made the, the original retro supply products, there's so much love and effort that goes into them. And I, the one thing that really uh, made me fall in love with them was when you were showing actually like yeah we went out and we did proper screen prints and we did textures and like, there was a real kind of physical product that we digitized for authenticity we hadn't just found like a picture on a stock photo site and then extracted the texture we went out there and i think right. it's all those unseen hours that give it the credibility but that for me was what elevates it above what everyone else is doing that sort of um low-hanging fruit of just like let's try and churn something out I think that's what helped for me personally. I'd pay more for that because I can see there's a real story and real value and effort being put in. I want to reward that. So I wanted to just say, I mean, these things, this is the word passive is it's in the zeitgeist is what people know it as, but it's far from that. It's like the Tim Ferriss four hour week thing we talked about where it's clearly that guy's a nutter. He works all the time. Right. Uh, it's impossible to work for four hours and just live on the beach and do that. But just if you could give a little bit of insight into kind of your process and, and what that takes. And then if we build that into some actionable tips, that'd be great. The first thing is you need to build an audience and social media is a great place to start. If you're good at doing that, that's one place to start, but whatever place you build your audience, and that could be social media, that could be Reddit, that could be forums. Um, you need to, you need to funnel that into a email list. And if you don't like email lists, you got to get over it and get an email list. Um, as it is now, that's the very best way to get an audience. Um, second, maybe someday something like Messenger or Slack might might take that place, but that's a long ways off. Um, you need to do that. Um, and then once you have an audience, it doesn't matter if you have an audience if you can't um, keep them interested. So the, the second part is to make sure that um, what you're making is interesting. So like for instance, for, for you, something that um, was interesting to you was seen that, that it was authentic. It st stands out, right? When you see photographs that aren't professionally taken, 
um, that just show behind the scenes of how something's done. It's almost like you're making a documentary, right? Um, like on Snapchat. It's very unprofessional photos. Here's how everything was done behind the scenes. That kind of stuff helps a lot. Um, so traffic, keeping it interesting. If you don't know how to keep, if you don't know how to keep it interesting, experiment, try different things. Um, most importantly, it's funny, we buy so many books on this, but your brain will tell you, think about last time you were fascinated. Every time you stop on an ad or a story on Medium or at the bookstore or in the grocery store on a certain package of food, ask yourself, why did you stop? What words triggered you to look more? What picture triggered you to look more? Take note of that. Pull out your iPhone and tap into your notes. Uh, you know, Frosted Lucky Charms, they had a unicorn marshmallow enlarged in the corner with this word next to it. It sounds silly, but eventually you'll have a big index of all these ideas of things that trigger interest. And, so, and you'll end up adapting that to your products. Um, and then one of the most important things you can do is don't try to reinvent the wheel. Um, you, there's no special rewards or bonus points or merit badges for making a product that's never been seen before. In fact, that's a really great way to make zero money. Um, the best thing you can do is find products that you know are succeeding and you know they're succeeding when a lot of people are talking about them or when you go to a site and see that they're ranking very high. You want to find products like that. Make sure that you have the talent to make something that is at least 70 to 80% as good and then find your own unique way of putting a spin on it. So for instance, um, we were talking earlier about Jeremy Vesey, um, who owns Hustle Supply Co. He does early 20th century, late 19th century vintage fonts. They kill it. He's putting them into bundles of typically four or five complimentary fonts, selling it for a $29 price point and doing really well. Okay. He owns that market. You can try to go up against him and you might make some sales doing that, but a better way to do it might be to say, what's a different like era or style of fonts from that era that I could do that on and then replicate his, you know, five fonts in a bundle for $29 in another style. Go look on Pinterest, go see what kind of, what are graphic designers, you know, capturing from that era of packages, what kind of fonts that are not like his. You know what I mean? So you're, you're kind of using the bones of a successful product and then you're adding your own personality and your own spin onto that. That's yeah. likely to sell because you have a lot of indicators that it will sell as opposed to just making wild guesses. So you've kind of got the blueprint of, I can see, I can look at what he's doing and deconstruct it, perhaps reverse engineer it. Go, okay, so he's doing that for that era. And then as you said, it's kind of, well, who am I following on Pinterest? Who am I following on Instagram? what's the theme here? And like you said, there's going to be a thing of, oh, I'm really into this style of typography or this kind of illustration or this look or this effect. And then, okay, well, maybe I could do, I can just replicate that at least to get started and get me going. So that's a good, that's a really good insight. I can, that's helpful. So that, anything else? What else when it comes yeah. to doing this? Um, maybe the most important thing is to realize that the price of succeeding at, at this and really anything I can think of is, is failure. I mean, go out there. I know that sometimes someone put it really well. Um, and I think they were describing Gary V when they said this, um, no offense to Gary V. Um, but they had said, um, they called it failure porn where people love to hear how people are failing. And I'm not trying to say failing is this amazing glamorous thing, but 
the cost of admission to most things like making a passive income is you need to fail uh, a bunch of times. And once you've learned your lessons from failing, you'll start to see money come in. Yeah. It's not sexy or awesome to fail. Maybe you won't fail. Maybe you'll get out on the first try. But if you're like 95% of people, you're going to fail three or four times. And the people that tend to succeed, I can call them out from looking at them. And it's not because the work is particularly good. I can see they're going to do well because they keep shipping stuff out the door. It's not great, but they keep doing it. And eventually they nail it. And then the money comes in. And then once the money comes in, um, it becomes very, very easy. You, it's almost like you get this like Scooby sense or something like that for what makes money and what's going to work, but it doesn't try, happen the first time. Now that's important. I think setting aside the ego, because like you say, if you, it is that thing of um, if you applied it to something else, if I was learning to cook a meal, like if I said, right, I'm going to cook bolognese and I've never done it before, but I'm going to cook. It, and like, the, the first 10 times you do it, it would be nasty. Exactly. So you might get it right and you go, oh, wow, that was delicious. And then I do it again. It's like, oh, that was horrible again. I don't know quite what I've done wrong here. But I would go, well, I'm going to follow recipes. I'm going to look at what people are doing. I'm going to evolve it to suit my own tastes. And then I'm going to keep going until I hit a sweet spot where other people like what I like. And then I'm there. And I wouldn't ever feel bad about that. So like you say, it's kind of there is a whole thing of if you're not failing, you're not learning. And if the learning only comes from the failing, really. So it's kind of right. you have to embrace both and kind of like, well, you know, and also people don't care. They're all too busy, you know, doing what they're doing. So actually nobody is really paying that much attention to you. And so it like so I think that's a great mindset to go in of like, actually, if I just accept I'm going to ship five products that are going to be crap. But then after I've done that, I might go, well, look, maybe the sixth will hit. But like I've got to have that mentality. Like you said, that's another big thing of this. I've just got to be in it and I've got to build up that sort of stamina sort of thing. That, that's so true. I think uh, I think you nailed it with that, that no one's watching and no one cares. People will remember when you succeed because you'll do something neat they like. People mm -hmm. will forget pretty quick about your failures. Um, and people that remember your failures and, and keep bringing it up aren't people you want as your customers or your friends anyways. I know yeah. the, probably the biggest obstacle when I released my first product on Creative Market was literally minutes after releasing it, I was constantly checking email waiting for some professional designer at some agency to tell me that I didn't do it right. And you shouldn't even be on the site and be ashamed. Uh, I was going to be ashamed of myself. This has never happened. I think there's been two times maybe in six years that that's happened. Um, and, and typically when I go look at their portfolios, you realize this is someone that actually is just having a really hard time. You know, yeah. they're struggling and they're frustrated. Um, so yeah, I think that just like realizing that most people are are, are good and are nice and helpful and those who your are your customers are anyways and you're absolutely right that people will forget about the failures and they'll remember the successes um is is just huge remembering that is so huge because most people don't succeed because they don't try yes i mean if, ever, if everyone tried i'd be out of business it's such a good thing that no one ever tries it's such a good thing people are afraid to put something out there because if they all did i would be out of business Yes. And I, no, I think that's a big thing. And I, I would imagine this probably comes back a little bit to, like you say, you've got to be always building an audience because surveying your audience on what they want. I know I certainly found when I was doing like Q&A on Instagram, the questions I was getting asked, um, if I would turn them into articles, would always do so much better on my blog than the ones that I thought that people wanted. So it's like I was not arrogant, but I thought like, well, surely they'll want to learn this because that's interesting to me. But actually... As you say, your the list building is a double 
power because they'll buy from you, but they'll also tell you, well, we want to buy this and these are the problems we're having. And I know you're very good at, you seem to survey your audience quite regularly and I can see how that's, that's really helped you like sort of streamline your process. Oh yeah. We, so I, I survey a lot um, because it's true. You, you think you know what people want. You don't know what people want. I can give you a, a perfect example that happened, I think two weeks ago. Um, we did a webinar, um, me and Brad Witter to Brave the Woods, and it was for a illustration pack, but we were going to offer, we did offer a um, masterclass on illustration at the end for $97. And so we said, we're doing this masterclass. If you like this free webinar, we're going to do this amazing one, and it's going to teach you how to make a matchbook style illustration, and it's $97, and here's all the stuff you're going to get. And we listed off all this amazing stuff they're going to get on these multiple webinars for $97. And then I said, here's the link to buy. And nobody bought. Nobody clicked the button. It was just radio silence. It was so awkward. And um, finally, I just said, can you guys just tell me, because there's, you know, the chat on the side of the webinar. I said, can you tell me why aren't you buying? What is the thing about this that doesn't sound good to you? And all of a sudden, people, I said, tell me. It won't hurt my feelings. And, and then eventually, a couple people say something. And then it just all starts to drop down. It turned out. I was wrong. People didn't want to learn how to do matchbook illustrations. They wanted to learn how to do children's book illustrations. So then I said, okay, scrap that. We're going to do this class and it's going to be a children's book illustration. You get all the same stuff, but now it's a children's book illustration. All of a sudden the sales started to just roll in on the fly, on the fly by simply asking them, what do you want? And they told us, and then I just repeated it back and said, you got it. That's what we'll do. Um, so that's the power of asking people. I mean, it's huge. Yes, I had a similar thing. Ages ago, I was going to do like a branding course because I was convinced that I could teach people branding because I used to get questions on Instagram. And the I used to think these questions were like, I really like your design. Where, where, where did you get that effect from? And I would send them to Retro Supply. But actually, when I spent 10 hours on calls with people over Skype saying, you know, what would you like to learn from me? And I would say unanimously, they were like, no, we don't want to learn branding at all. We actually just want to learn how to get more clients. And it was like, mm -hmm. what? And I'm so glad I asked because I was I was sketching out the course and the modules and like, yeah, I could teach them color and composition. Nobody cares. They're all just like, no, yeah. no, no. We actually quite like learning that ourselves. We want to learn how to make money and get clients. And that's yeah. kind of, that's how all this started because I was like, well, I can teach her to do that. That's even easier now because it's, I've got a framework and it, and it just feeds itself. So I love that's I think also the thing of as you said people if they're a bit funny about starting an email list and what am I going to say I think the flip side is people often love to contribute they love to have a they love to give back because they're very thankful and it just makes things 10 times better because you're streamlining as you go and it, they're giving you the answers yeah well yeah and if they like you like you said if they sign up for your email list then just ask them what they want you to tell them about I mean they already signed up they're obviously interested in something about you so then just ask them, what, what do you want to hear from me? I'll tell you, I'll tell you that. Yeah, it's, it's it, like a, I think it's a good way to do it, definitely. Yeah, it's like a drive-thru window in the States. They pull the car up, you know they already want something to eat. The, yes. the, McDonald, the McDonald's doesn't say, okay, I recommend, uh, you know, a burger and fries. You know, what can I, what can I get you? Yes, you're here. You clearly <laughs> right. want something. No, it's true. Like, it makes a lot of sense. So I guess just briefly to recap, because I'm aware of your time and I think you've been very extremely helpful, but I love the fact that it's that thing of starting off by building an audience. And I, one thing I would say that I've noticed a sort of trend to um, would be whether you're building a list, 
which I know some people are a little bit funny because they, they don't want to hand over their, their sort of email details, but certainly driving people to either a list or a Facebook group seems to be a kind of good good thing to start. And I know you've got a passive, passive income Facebook group as well that people can join, and I'll put the link in, in, in my group. Um, so I think building a list, very sensible, or at least maybe building a community, should we say, in some yeah. form, because then you have a group of people who are kind of who are prepared to buy or support or share or give feedback. And that's going to be vital to kind of helping you steer your decisions. And then, as you said, it's kind of going out there and looking at other products that are working and sort of deciding, OK, they're clearly solving a problem because they're popular. How can I put my spin on it and perhaps look at the blueprint and reverse engineer what they did to get there? Um, and what else were you saying about next day? So it's like it is just really that thing of keep trying. And the more you fail, you're one step closer to probably hitting one. And once you've got one, all of a sudden your confidence will build, your reputation will build and it snowballs. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think as you try to, as you try things, you'll see you'll, you'll get little hints. For instance, I think you had mentioned, um, you know, cooking food, you know, you might try cooking this forever, and you can't get it right. And then all someone says, "Will you please just make me some fish and chips. Yeah. And you make them the fish and chips turns out that's what you're good at making. You were like making the, the wrong thing the whole time. Um, but I've noticed all sorts of things. It's happen because you start it's the whole idea of you know, driving a car in the dark, you'll see just far enough with your headlights that you know what to do next. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I started the business and then it started to make sales. And then I knew on creative market that I need to get people from those sales to go to my site. So then I built an email list and a really, really simple website. And then they, they put their names on the email list. Uh, and then I moved a couple of the products over to the website. And then people started buying off of the website when I sent the emails out. And then I noticed that there was more competitors coming into the marketplace and I couldn't compete on my illustration skills and I didn't want to use stock images or something like that. So then I started reaching out to illustrators and saying, hey, just so you know, here's how much money I've made so far doing this on my own. I think you're going to make really good money if you do this with me. Then I had a couple of illustrators come on board because I was able to leverage the money I'd already made to convince them to come on. So then they started doing it. Then when I made another product, hey, I've made this much money doing this, plus this illustrator and this illustrator have already done this and they've loved the results. Then I had more, then that illustrator comes on. And then all of a sudden someone says, hey, I want to buy all your products. Can I get a deal? Oh, sure. Okay, so now we're going to put it in a bundle and the bundle is $199. So then you do that. And then like people, you know, like say, can I get a t-shirt? Okay, sure. So we make a t-shirt. Hey, what if we put these t-shirts and all this stuff on a flash drive and put it in a box and sell it for $500? And then you do that. And then next thing you know, you're making $25,000, $30,000 a month, $40,000, $50,000 a month. Then you're like, hey, maybe I should hire some people to work for me. It's, it's not that you have a master plan. It's that, that every step you take gives you, it almost gives you, it, it tells you what the next step will be, but you don't get to see that next step until you take the first step. Yes. So it is, it's action. It is, it's always that thing of it's, it's stop watching other people right. dancing it's get on the dance floor and nobody cares if you're not very good you'll just pick it up as you go along and and and, and that's the big thing isn't it it's not being afraid to fail i think that's huge and that's really really important i love that that is a beautiful inspiring summary of uh, steady increments developing and evolving to the next stage and as you said it's like when it's all going well it can be extremely lucrative so i think you know like i said it's, it's absolutely doable so thank you that was a lovely beautiful synopsis there
Yeah, you bet. And you know what? The whole thing is really fun. I mean, you know this, you know, you've built a business. It's, it's so fun to do and the successes are fun. And really like once you get over the fear of it, the, the, um, the failures are, I don't know if fun is the right word, but they become interesting and not traumatic. You know, you have a failure and you say, oh, oh, I just learned something. And the only other way someone else could learn this is if I tell them or if they do the same thing, you know, like I I release something that doesn't do well. Only I know the secrets to why it didn't do well. I did the A-B tests. I did the product. I did all these things. I talked to the customers to find out what they didn't like. Now I know something nobody else knows about how not to make something work. And that becomes really neat. But that's your mindset. That's the thing of it. it. It's it's embracing. It's a bit like if someone gives you, like, for example, if I like to do a portfolio critique of someone, um, it's that balance of uh, I'll be honest it, in a way that's not personal. It's not mean. It's it's not subjective. It's like a, I would want to help you to get where you want to get to quicker. So you have to embrace that this is not personal. This is purely the best way I can speed that up. And I think, like you say, when people accept you know, whatever your mindset is, and we had it when we were running a hotel, um, it's certainly not nice to be to receive criticism or to get a bad review or have a problem. But actually, when you can be more objective and go, well, actually, that they've got, probably got a point or I can see actually that wouldn't work. So you've by telling me, you've actually saved me a lot of time and money and heartache building a product around a failing that I never knew existed. And I would have been invested so much more time and money and effort, and it still would have failed because I never would have spotted this and then someone had told me. So I think, like I said, it's a mindset thing of almost thanking them for giving you that. And the more you embrace that, um, I think, it, like I said, you can, there's a good, I read or I listened to Kevin Hart's autobiography, and it's really good. It's about 15 hours long, but he reads it, so it's entertaining. And he had this thing called the shoulder shrug, and he's like, just shrug it off. And so yeah. when he like he got like a sitcom deal and it was all going through and they cancelled it, and he's like, oh well, next thing. And he said, I had that attitude my whole life of being able to shrug it off and move on very quickly and not get bogged down by it, where other people Love would that. get very sidetracked and kind of it would haunt them. And even his agent was like, well, you took that really well. And he's like, well, I can't do anything about it now. What's next? And that thing, that's how he takes it. He's just to like, keep moving forward, keep moving forward. Fine, that's great to know. Let's go again. And so I think that's, it's it's an it's an inherent trait in a lot of successful people, and you are a successful person. So for you to say that um, is is very good because it's it's important for people to hear. I love that Kevin Hart example. It's so brilliant because yeah, just, sh- just shrugging it off um, and hearing something like Kevin Hart said, I can imagine is very freeing. And if you yeah, think about it, it's, oh yeah, I'm gonna have to listen to that. I love I love hearing a good narrator like someone like Kevin Hart telling his story. Um, and two, if someone if someone disses you or says negative things about you, and then you go look at go look at their work. If their work isn't good or you don't like the direction they've went, well then, it's probably a good thing they don't like it because yeah. clearly, like you don't like what they're doing anyways. If they do something really great and they're fantastic and they're giving you criticism on their work, your work, well then guess what? You just got free consulting. They probably, if you'd asked them cons- to consult, they would have charged you a ton. But yeah. by dissing your stuff. They've given you free consulting on how to make it better. I mean, you really can't lose in this situation. Um, I say it's they've gone from insulting to consulting. You just got to make that switch there. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. That's that's brilliant, man. Well, and, and that's why I, I I love having conversations with you too. So you you've given me suggestions on my business quite a lot, and I really appreciate the fact that you've written me when products have come out or we've been on calls, and you'll say, you know. Maybe you should have tried this this way, or did you ever think of doing this? Or I just read this thing in this training that I had like looked at, and 
this might be something that would really work for you. And um, that is so, it's so helpful to have someone that you trust that is, that says it in a way where they're, they're, they're kind and they're nice and it makes you receptive to them. You know, if you, if you were cocky and always a jerk about everything and then you were like, you should do this, Dustin, I'd be like, oh yeah, whatever, don't talk to me. But you know, you're a friend, you're a friendly guy. You clearly just want to share information. And as a result, like when you tell me things, it never feels personal or doesn't hurt my feelings. You feel like, yeah, like there's been things you've told me where I'm like, yeah. And I, I wish that I had um, thought before I came onto this, cause I could probably cite one or two things that you've told me that have made me $10,000 as a result of it. Well, if I could remember what they were, that's the problem. I'll come up with these great things, tell people and then forget I've told them. So. <laughs> yeah, I, well, I definitely, you're one of the guys that when we've talked uh, and you've seen, cause we talk on Skype a lot where we can see each other. I literally will keep a piece of paper next to me or I'll have to pull one out and I'll start writing down. Okay. I need to remember this. Take note of this. You need to try this out. Okay, um, well, that's very, I'm, I'm, that's very kind of you to say, like, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased I've made impact because from my point of view, like, like I said, it's you're very uh, you take any feedback extremely well, and I from what I can see, you're you're doing extremely well. So, no, I'm 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 thrilled to have you on, uh, and I think the audience will get a huge amount from this. Um, and finally, I guess the other thing is so just to sum up, if they want to find out more, they can join the passive income group on Facebook. They can go to passiveincomefromdesigners.com, and on there they can sign up for the. Uh, the sort of passive income course and you said right. on linkedin learning and linda you've also got a course that's come out as well that's called side hustles for designers perfect um and, and that's more like hearing all the different ways that you can make a side hustle along with real stories so you can kind of imagine how it really looks to do it um the one on my email list is i is, is interesting because it tells you my story and then at the bottom of each email it has an assignment something for you yeah. to do move forward. Um, so it just depends on what you want. If you need inspiration, go to Linda or LinkedIn. I have some fantastic stories of people doing this that I know personally. If you want instructions, go to this email list. If you want a community, go to the Facebook the Facebook one. Um, last thing I, I, I wanna say if, I, if we have just a minute more. Yeah, of course. Is, yeah. is that um, I think a lot of people try to make a passive income or try to make an income selling whatever, and it doesn't work. And um, I think it's so easy to think that, well, if I tried to do this and it didn't make money, I'm not smart enough, or I'm not good enough, or I'm not talented enough. But I can tell you from knowing so many people that have been successful at this, so many, I mean, and I know the numbers, these people have shared numbers with me, I see how their business works from the inside. These people don't have some special secret that has made them more successful than you if you're listening to this. These people are people that have tried just like you have and oftentimes have gotten lucky. Um, it, it, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't try to learn. It doesn't mean that if you work hard, you're not more likely to, to succeed because you are. But I'm just guess I mean, don't lose sleep at night or lose your self-worth over the, over the fact that you can't seem to make money doing this. There is dignity in doing the best work you can and barely getting by. If you're trying hard and you're making good work and learning, that's enough. You're enough for doing that. It's not that there's gifted people and you're not one of them. No, there's way too many people out here punish themselves constantly. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's, that's true. I sort of find a lot of people with a lot of self doubt and they lack confidence. And I, that's kind of, 
I, w- I want to make that clear. And I and I think when I was teaching the syllabus, one of the big things it, it is patience, tenacity, and and I think there's a people are a lot more talented. They give themselves credit for and mentality is huge. So it's really nice to finish on that and for you to say, like I said, the people making a success of this aren't necessarily divine or blessed or super talented, but they are tenacious and they're prepared to be patient and res- and it is that thing of they're consistent. They will keep shipping even if it means, okay, that we, this one wasn't great, but I know that I'm one step closer. And I think that mentality of, look, just get on with it, try it, keep going and give yourself a year, see how you go. And then if they are still struggling, you maybe come and join the Facebook group and chat with you and go, look, I've tried this, this and this, what am I doing? And you'll probably go, have you thought about that? And they'll go, oh, oh. and it's done. And they, But now they've got the stamina and the sort of, it's like running a marathon. They put in the hours so now when they apply that mentality to actually a product that you've fixed or tweaked or, you know, whatever, it unlocks itself. So, no, that's really important to mention. Thank you. Thank, thank, man, thank you for having me. It's been an honor to be on. It really has. And, you know, I always love talking to you. So it's been fun. Need to do yeah. more. Yeah, thank you very much, Dustin. So I'll, uh, I'll put all the links in the show notes and everything. And uh, all I can say is thank you very much. All right. Thanks a lot.